just yesterday, I was filling out some information for going along on the high school youth trip to RYM this coming June. I was filling out a waiver online, and after filling out my name, my phone number, giving away my firstborn, and all that kind of stuff that they ask you for in those waivers, it asked for my digital signature. Well, I did something I'd never done before. I tried to write my name in cursive with a mouse. Has anybody else tried to do that? It's, it's an adventure. Uh, I'm going to tell you, it looked pretty good. At least for the first loop in the M and that first hump, I was rocking it. I really was. But after that, I don't know whose signature that was, but it wasn't mine. But this wasn't a significant formal contract. Uh, nobody's really going to dispute it. Uh, that obviously, if it was something more important, uh, they would have required something more of me, right? Perhaps uh, we would have met in person, or they would have required that the agreement would have been notarized with my signature. While you can do a lot of these uh, digital signatures for a whole lot of agreements, if something is really serious, you know they're going to make sure that it is legal, that it is your signature, that it was you that signed it. And you can see the gravity of the agreement that you're making based upon how important and how significant the truthfulness of your signature is. Well, as we gather this evening for Monday, Thursday, our scripture passages from the Old and the New Testament today are showing us an agreement that is taking place, and there's great gravity here. A covenant is being established. And there wasn't the opportunity for digital, digital signatures, and there weren't even notaries involved in this very important agreement with God. But there was something present that made it clear that this agreement was to be binding. As we commemorate the institution of the Lord's Supper tonight, we're going to see that God is instituting a covenant meal for his covenant people. And it shows us the love and grace that he has shown us in the Lord Jesus. So as we reflect and journey towards Good Friday and Easter, we take a moment to reflect on what we read this evening in the book of Exodus. It's important that we take a quick note of where we are in the book of Exodus. We're, we're past the plagues. We're past the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. And we're also beyond the giving of the manna and the water from the rock. We are in chapter 24 of Exodus. And Moses has received the Ten Commandments back in chapter 20. And now Moses is sharing what God has given him on the mountain. Well, Moses shares the word of the Lord with the people and all the rules that God has given them. Now, it's important that we remember that the rules that we see mentioned here are not just the Ten Commandments. After we see the Ten Commandments in chapter 20 of Exodus, there, there are laws about slaves. There are personal injury laws that are here. There's laws about theft and crop protection, laws about personal property and capital offenses. There's also laws about keeping the Sabbath and keeping festivals. 
And this is what the people have heard. This is what the people have received. And we read here that they answer together with one voice. They're agreeing that they will keep all the words that the Lord has commanded them to do. Now, one of the important themes that is vital as we look at this Old Testament passage today is that this is a covenant of law. This is the institution of a covenant. And who is the burden of the covenant placed upon here? Who's making the agreement? God has given the law, but the burden to keep it is put on the people. As I said, this is a covenant of law. It's pretty cut and dry. They will either keep these commands or they will violate them. Pretty straightforward as to who has to keep the covenant here. And this is further illustrated in the covenant ceremony that is done. As you've heard me say several times this year, we easily forget just how bloody the Old Testament system was. They are bringing offerings And this isn't a clean practice. Life is being taken. And the message in all of this is that this is serious business. What they are doing here is serious. This is a formal agreement. And unlike my digital signature with my mouse, there's something here to prove that it's important. There is blood present. The sacrifices show that a life has been taken to make all of this possible. The life being taken is being taken in place of the people. They are standing in for the people, these animals that have died. But it also requires something of the people, doesn't it? When they give a sacrifice, they're giving up something of theirs. A piece of their livelihood is being sacrificed in order to be in covenant with God. And notice what takes place as we read this story. Moses puts the blood into basins and he throws it against the altar. And then the people hear the agreement again. And they agree to keep it again. And then the blood is thrown upon the people. That's a strange practice to us, but this is what they were doing. It seems gross and strange, but it was a covenant ritual that showed that the covenant was blinding, binding. The covenant was sealed with blood on the people. And look at the language that we read here. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Now, we're going to see how this is going to continue in our New Testament passage. But before we go to the gospel passage that we read in Mark, I want to remind you of something we saw earlier in Hebrews this year. Hebrews 9.22, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Now I've alluded to why that is, but I want to drive it home as it is such a vital part of what we remember tonight and what we remember tomorrow on Good Friday. This death, this blood that is shed, it reminds us that sin is a violation of God's holy law. It's treason against the Almighty. And the price to pay for sin is death. But, 
Since our first parents fell into sin, God has allowed that punishment to be stayed through the blood of a substitute. Now, it started all the way back in the garden when God made clothes of skin to cover the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve. And then it continued through this sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament. And the whole thing was on display in the tabernacle and in the temple. And we saw it in the way that those buildings were set up. You can't go into the presence of a holy God on your own. You have to go in with blood. Even priests, the people set apart to God, they can't go into the presence of God without blood. Why? Because sin is a violation of God's holiness. It deserves death. And so an animal is slain to show that someone has covered the sin of the priests. And this is the underlying way of thinking for the disciples. This is their operating system. All the Hebrew people in the first century would have understand this. And this is what Jesus came to do. His blood will be shed, and it will be our blood, not the blood of an animal. And his sinless life and his precious human blood will once and for all satisfy the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sin and our rebellion against his holiness. And so, with that understanding, we come to the institution of the Lord's Supper, and we read about Jesus and his disciples eating the Passover meal. Now, they would have had blood on their minds as they were eating the Passover, wouldn't they? Because remember the blood that was shed to save God's people and to rescue them from the slavery in Egypt. It would have been before their minds. They understand the rescue that God provides for his people and the price that was paid to rescue them. And so as they are eating this Passover meal, Jesus is going to recall some of the same language that we heard in Exodus. He is instituting a covenant meal for the covenant people of God. And we're very familiar with the language in this passage because these words that we read here are the words of institution. They've been uttered literally every time that you have partaken in the Lord's Supper in your life. They are a part of this covenant meal. Jesus tells his disciples that the bread is his body and it's broken. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus alludes to his coming suffering. And his disciples don't understand. They can't fathom that God's Messiah, who they believe Jesus to be, that he would ever be in a position to suffer He's the conqueror in their minds. But Jesus, over and over, talks about the fact that he is going to suffer. And it's apparent to us. We know the story. It should have been apparent to them. Look at the prophetic words about Jesus in the Old Testament and the suffering of the Messiah. But they couldn't understand it. And so Jesus is making it visibly apparent what is going to happen to him. His body is going to be broken. He is going to suffer. And it's clear that he isn't just going to receive a beating that results in broken bones here. And he'll just be back with them after some time in the hospital. 
the point that Jesus makes here is that not only is his body going to be broken, but his blood is going to be shed. And as you've heard me say before, the shedding of blood in biblical language isn't a nurse coming in and putting that stretchy thing around your arm and putting a needle in, you look away, taking a few vials. When we think of blood being shed, that's what we think of, or we think of a skinned knee. No, when the Bible talks about the shedding of blood, it is death. Death is occurring. It's about taking a life. And Jesus lets them know that this shedding of blood is significant because it is his blood. And it's the blood of the covenant that's being poured out for many. That's the familiar language I was referencing. This is the blood of the covenant. We saw it in Exodus. A covenant is being made with the people of God. And blood is going to be shed. But there is something so important and so amazing that we need to understand about the beauty of this covenant meal. In the Old Testament, who provided the sacrifice? Whose blood was used as a substitute? It was provided from the animals of the people. The law given to them was something that they had to keep. It was all on them. It was a covenant of law. The keeping of the commands and the blood of the offering was from them. The people had to do it all. But the covenant that Jesus is instituting is not a covenant of law. It's a covenant of grace. The death being offered isn't from the people, and the blood being shed isn't from their animals. Instead, as a gift of mercy and sheer grace, the blood being shed is the real human blood of God the Son. His sinless blood is being shed in the place of the people, and they receive it as a gift. It is given to them, not taken from them. The burden of keeping the covenant is not on the people here. It's completely on God and on Him alone. A great exchange has taken place. The price that was required of us is now paid for us by God Himself in the blood of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel that God in Christ has reconciled us to himself and we are saved from the wrath of God because Jesus bore it in our place. This is the new covenant in his blood that God is making with his people. The covenant of grace and is what we remember and commemorate in this covenant meal this evening. In the Old Testament story, we read about the blood of the covenant ceiling. It was the price that was paid by the people. But here, the story is completely reversed. The blood comes from God. The sacrifice is from God. It's all about his mercy and his grace. But it is still a covenant. It is a binding agreement. But God is going to keep it. And so as we come here today and we celebrate this covenant meal, we can know that we are in God's grace because it's on him. It's not on you. It is the blood that is going to be shed on Good Friday 
that guarantees your access to God. It's not on you. It's on His grace. He's flipped the story to save you by His mercy. And this meal not only points us to that perfect sacrifice of Jesus for us, it's also pointing us forward to a greater feast. Because of what has been done for us in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we now have a sure and certain hope of eternal life. One day, we will feast in the house of Zion. But now, we only have a foretaste of that feast that is to come. But I've got good news for you again. This meal, it's more than enough. It's just a foretaste, but it's more than enough because God is present with us. And we have the Word. And this meal and the Word will nourish us. It builds us up in faith and it encourages us. And so as we journey to Good Friday, may the good news of the Gospel and this meal nourish you, that you might have peace, that you might have comfort, knowing that your covenant God has given you His grace and that your sin has been paid for by the precious blood of the covenant shed for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not yours. It's His. And He will keep you in His grace. Amen.